0: Who do mamas? Get your soul fed and your spirit ran
1: This here and the trend, I possess the power from way back when. Back when folk was stripped from all of their kin, so they had to find the magic
0: within.
1: ancestors together my earth I conjure at my altar. Who plant mamas?
0: I manifest growth and I release trauma Ciao, we just out here trying to water our plants and mind our business, you know? Everybody from the deep south, man, everybody can't have a culture like us
1: Hey y'all and welcome back to season 5 of Hoodoo Plant Mamas podcast I know y'all have waited so patiently for us to return We're finally back I am one of your co-hosts, Leah Nicole. And I'm Danny B. And Danny B, what have you been up to over the summer?
0: What have you done over our break? Not gonna lie, my summer has been in shambles. I graduated from my graduate program and was on the job search that didn't, you know, go great. Still kind of on the job search but I'm working, which is good. I have income and oh, my appendix got my appendix taken out randomly. (laughs) So that was like two months of recovery and it's been a lot, but I made it and I'm at the other side of what I thought was like the worst possible thing. Um, And I'm doing okay, and I'm thankful. I know we haven't gotten into that lately, but I'm just happy to be in a better place because this summer was really a tough one for me.
1: What about you? This summer was tough for me too. I think right after our season wrapped up, I got COVID. And so I was out for like a month, and then then you got your fitness takeout. So we had a lot of stuff going on (laughs) over the summer. Um, But I also, I just wrapped up my... A writing and publishing fellowship that I had. It was such a great experience. Um and I met a lot of new people so I'm super excited about that. A lot of new people that listen to this podcast now and they okay. were also <laughs> I know they were also like so when's the new season? I'm like please give me some time. <laughs> but I got to do that um and as part of that fellowship our work is going to be published in an anthology next year. So the short story that i started on a couple years ago and then i rewrote this year is going to come out next year so i'm super excited about that as well
0: congrats that's exciting Thank you. all right well let's get into some gratitude what are you
1: thankful for on today you know what i am thankful uh for beyonce's renaissance album <laughs> that has been on repeat <laughs> since it came out and it's just like, I don't know, it just makes me so happy. And I've just been getting up and dancing. And then every morning I wake up, there's a new song in my head. Like right now it's Virgo's Groove. But yeah, I'm just so grateful she made that and released it. Thank you, Beyonce.
0: You know whose album, and I just wish it would have came out at a different time. Megan The Stallion's album is actually really fucking good. It's just bad timing. Um, so I don't think a lot of people i mean i for the people that I know have listened to it, they said it was good, but I've been enjoying her album. I like a few songs on Lord, I don't want to get canceled. There are a few songs that I like on um Renaissance overall, I think it's a really good album, and I think it's fun, and I look forward to being safely in a setting to dancing to the album like transitions are flawless, so Um, But yeah I have Probably been listening to Megan's album A little bit more I do really love Alien Superstar Maybe it's the Aquarius in me That's a good fucking song And Church Girl grew on me It grew on me Cause when I at first I was like What's going on B But then I was like okay I see what you did there
1: I was like the, the first time The first couple of times I listened to that album I was like I don't know and then it took me a while and then I was like wow this is like her best album (laughs) but I have listened to Megan's album too it is really good
0: yeah I think it has to grow on some people Um, well I'll get into what I'm thankful for I am thankful for having housing one of the things that was really rough with my summer is that I spent a month basically in transit like not having a place to stay So staying with a friend And that was really hard for me Like when you're on the The not so great side of it You're Thinking like I'm never gonna get over this hump And now I'm in my place And I'm in such a better place And so I'm really thankful for that I'm thankful that God gave me The the strength to just keep going Even when I wanted to just say Fuck all this So Yeah <laughs>
1: Amen. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into the episode. So Danny actually sent me this article about capitalism ruining sex. And I thought it was just so interesting to me. But it also helped explain a lot of things that I feel, especially when Twitter gets in their discourse about like sex and relationships and romance and stuff. And I'm just like but anyway something that the author wrote is that it is clear that our version of late-stage capitalism shaped by rampant consumerism each for him herself neoliberalism and a lingering anti-sex puritanism has limited and twisted our capacity for pleasure it has done so in particularly by stripping away any possibility that does not adhere with the mandate of labor and so one of the one of i think she had nine points um and one of them was that sex is work and a lot of the reasons why we think this is because of our aversion to leisure and rest and this is something that i've heard it also ties into sex being transactional but something i hear all the time when people talk about sex is like here are the things you have to do in order for like sex to count like there has to be penetration or there has to be an orgasm. There has to be something. And it really does take out a, a lot of the fun and a lot of the pleasure. Um But in this, in the sex is work part, what she was talking about was like, people don't have time off and the people who do have time off don't take it. So sex tends to not be a priority for a lot of people. It just becomes another thing that they have to power through And not something that you really get to stop and enjoy.
0: I would agree with that. Um, And what I, I love this article because a lot of what she said, I was able to like make observations or think about certain things that I've noticed in the discourse online or even in my own life. And so, yeah, I definitely think there's some correlation between our aversion to to thinking that we deserve rest with thinking of sex as something that's laborious and not associated with pleasure um, and also what you were saying about like how we define sex which i went on a rant on my close friends on ig about the idea of sex being transactional had me thinking about how we quantify sex some of the discourse that annoys me that I actually recently saw was people talking about time. Someone was in the comments of a post where someone said, y'all are talking about y'all, porn has fooled y'all into thinking sex is supposed to be three, four hours when those people are on drugs. If you've looked at interviews of former sex workers and stuff, especially in the very unethical side of pornography, a lot of the times they did have to take drugs or it was just a lot of stuff that you didn't see happening. And someone was in the comments like, oh, y'all must be with people that don't like you. If you think two hours is too long, like I need da, 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 da. And a lot of this was in the context because this was a queer, this was actually a queer person. And then what appeared to be a cis hat woman commented and said like, I cannot be penetrated for two hours straight. That sounds like a lot. Um, but I think what I found most annoying, and I did agree with, the person that said that's too long is that why are you quantifying sex and making it seem like not only is it that an attraction issue, but that like sex is supposed to take longer. People are supposed to last this long. And then the size thing, another quantifiable thing of like judging Typically penis size, there's a lot that happens with vagina discourse, but I think there's a lot of emphasis on penis size that is just untrue. And I think that plays into um, this capitalism argument. I don't know if she gets into that, but I will say the transactional thing reminded me of numbers and just reminded me of the way people try to quantify sex into like XYZ has to be a thing in order for it to be good. If your dick is not this size, it's probably not going to be good. If you are only lasting 30 minutes, then they must not like you and it must not be good.
1: (laughs) I just thought about um, both Nicole Byers and London Hughes have comedy specials on Netflix. And both of them were talking about how dicks can surprise you. Because one, you can have a small dick and know how to use it. Or you can have a big one and not know how to use it. And so (laughs) that's what... (laughs) That's what I was just thinking about. This is what I've been
0: trying to tell people. I I'm not gonna put too much of my business on this, but I've been trying to explain to people that size it can really, it can really surprise you in a worse way too. You thinking that, like, oh, and then it's like, oh no.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, that's all I'ma
1: say. Something else that the writer pointed out was we as a society tend to talk a lot about sex, but we tend to not have a lot of sex. And I think that's something we see a lot in the news about how millennials aren't having sex, Gen Z aren't having sex, we aren't having babies, we, we aren't doing the things. Like, um, another one of her points is like, we aren't resting, we don't really have time to have sex. And it's, not, it's seen as a lot of work. But also another thing is like sex is everywhere. And I think in a lot of ways, sex has become a placeholder for the erotic. I saw this video of, uh, I forgot which movie it was, but it was back in the 80s. And it was these two people who were being very erotic towards each other. Um, And I don't think there was a lot of sex scenes, but it was a very sexy scene, even though that there, there was no sex in it. And I noticed in media a lot of times all we see is sex, 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 sex. Um, And this was, this came up in romance writing as well. There were a lot of romance writers who were upset that romance tends to be seen as like, you put two tropes and three sex scenes and you're done. And, And people use sex as a placeholder for story instead of building a story, building the erotic between two or more characters that may eventually lead to sex. But a lot of times it's just like, let's just throw sex in there so we don't have to build this story. And I think that translates to our real life too. We're always like, let's just have sex so we don't actually have to connect with each other. And, I, and again, I think this goes back to how people view relationships. They're like, get sex out of the way so you know whether or not you're compatible without thinking like it takes time to learn what a new person likes and wants. Um. But no, it's just like sex is, I don't want to say it's a top priority, but it is seen as something that holds a lot of value in relationships.
0: Yes. And I think this is also in conversation with like some of the, let me preface this with I am like pro ho, pro having all the sex you want, no strings attached, whatever you want to do. But the conversation of like the toxic sex positivity, I think all types of, toxic fat positivity your body's positivity all of it can be toxic because it puts a lot of pressure on people knowing people that are asexual and just like the way there's so much emphasis on certain types of sex or sex in general and then people treating you like you're a prude or something is wrong with you because you don't really fucking care about that or let you're romantically attracted to someone, but not sexually. And people can't wrap their mind around that, which I think we're going to get into later about friendships. This is why we have so much misinformation about sex and people, what I was saying early, quantifying, because a lot of y'all are not actually having it. And when you are having it, it's all about like the end goal. There's no real pleasure. There's just like the performance of it or... Yeah, I think a lot of people lie. I think we grow up as teenagers. (laughs) If you started having sex early, I think we idealized it when it wasn't that great for some of us. I can only speak for myself, but from talking to other people, once you get to a certain age, you realize that we were all faking it and we were all lying to each other, that it wasn't that great. Because if you were having sex with men, especially the ones your age, even if they weren't your age, they don't really care about ple- your ple- pleasure. They don't care. So, yeah, I do think, like, that a obsession can be toxic because it makes people feel like they have to be into this or they have to um, know how to do this or they have to talk about sex in this way. Um, and I think a lot of people just aren't being honest.
1: I'm going to agree with that because I remember I was at a... Um... It was at a bachelorette party a couple years ago and everyone there was like yeah every time I have sex I orgasm and these are all women having sex with men and they're like every time it's pleasurable and I'm like "Is it <laughs> I'm sorry I've never lied about whether or not I've orgasmed or whether or not something was good <laughs> so I am just like are y'all sure <laughs> it's okay
0: my thing is with hat women who talk like that, it's okay if you didn't have an orgasm. Sometimes it's just pleasurable. I, like, I think sex can be pleasurable without you reaching the big like, oh, you know, I, I think people can't fathom that. And also like the research tells us that if it was 10 women in that room, at least half of y'all were lying. Because the research has already already shown that, first of all, it's really hard for people with vaginas. A lot of people with vaginas to have an orgasm, especially through intercourse. That's not everybody, but I'm saying like it is really hard, and I think like it's okay to say like I enjoy having sex with my partner, and I also don't always have an orgasm. Um, but uh, again, the performativeness. It's all about, like, not only making yourself look good, but making your partner look good when there's nothing inherently wrong with you or your partner. But,
1: again, capitalism. (laughs) Something else that I remember um, was I was listening to Nicole Byer's podcast, Why Won't You Date Me? And in it, she was talking about how she hasn't had sex this was a couple years ago, but it was like during the entire pandemic, she had not had sex up until that point. She was like, all I've been doing is masturbating. And the co host was or not the co-host, the guest was like, Oh, so you've had good sex all the time. And she's like, No. (laughs) But that was really eye opening for me because I'm like, Okay, because I think everyone thinks every time you engage in some kind of sexual contact, Is always going to be good every single time And if it's not then something's wrong And if you can't even Please yourself 100% of the time Why do you expect someone else to do it
0: Yeah sometimes you just can't I will say my record With myself is Like 95% Versus I'm not going to give the percentage With other people But still sometimes it's like I'm trying It's like you know what My body isn't doing it for me today I'm going to just go to sleep (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or I'm going to just go back to what I was doing because, you know, sometimes you have that middle of the day feeling. But, yeah, I mean, it's true. And also, like, one of the really important things about, I think one of the most important things we could do to, I know we would done decolonize out, but decolonizing sex or how you think about sex is doing it with yourself. Exploring your body, but not doing it with the intent of like, I got to make myself orgasm. Treat your body how you will want somebody to treat you like intimately. Um, One of the things I've heard this from several, I follow a lot of like sex educators, sex therapists. I read about this stuff and because I have so much I need to work through with sex and my body and intimacy. And one of the practices that a lot of them have recommended Even people that are partner Because they say when you're partner Sometimes you forget that you should be having time for yourself With yourself um, Is that getting to know your body Touching yourself Without it solely having to be about Going to that spot That gets you off or whatever um, Because it can help you When you're actually with other people Because you learn like what you want you also become more confident in communicating um, and more confident in like, this is what I want done in my body, X, Y, Z. So, yeah. So there were a couple of things from the article I wanted to discuss after my reading. So I'll say that, like I said earlier, I agree with much of the article and I see how capitalism has infiltrated how we think about and approach sex. And I think we essentially just talked about this, the quote where she says, we are a culture of internet sex and quick masturbation rather than one of powerful and slow sexual creativity. And I think that goes with what I was saying about getting to know your body, not going to like, I'm just going to do this real quick to get off because I'm going to speak for myself. A lot of the time it doesn't. Like, I don't leave that situation with myself feeling fully satisfied. There's still something missing because it was just, like, boom, boom, bam. Like, I wouldn't want that to happen with another person, so why am I doing it with myself, essentially? Um, But I think that's just the culture of, like, get the orgasm. That's it.
1: I also agree with that, like, idea of the transactional, like, I'm going to get mine, you're going to... You're gonna get yours. And there's not a lot of reciprocation going on. Um, and like you said about like being unsatisfied, I remember the first time I had the big O during sex, and I was just like, that's it. <laughs> Cause people made it seem like it was gonna be the most magical thing you ever experienced, and it wasn't, and I was just like, Okay. Um, and it also didn't leave room for the fact that sometimes I had more pleasurable sex when there wasn't an orgasm
0: i also want to add we gonna have to have a sex therapist come on to talk about this <laughs> i also want to add i think orgasms can be experienced in different ways sometimes you can have a full body one sometimes you can have a more targeted one i have had a full body one not with another person that i can definitively say like wow maybe life is worth living <laughs> But that hasn't happened often. Like, I feel like it's only happened once or twice. But so again, it's not no, it's not every time like, oh, wow, my whole, you know what I mean? And also, like I said, never with another person, but I I think it can look different. But like you said, sometimes I don't fucking care. Like, I like the feeling of being touched. My brain is doing a lot up here. My brain, whatever the pleasure hormones that are happening, just from the touch, Everything is going crazy up there. Just saying. So it's not always about that. Now, <laughs> there was a point in the article, and I, again, I acknowledge I am human and this could be some projection and I'ma still say it. I was uncomfortable with... Um, so under the section about insistence that sex is dirty, I feel like she was conflating people's personal kinks with some underlying societal issue. Um. So... I'll start with this quote. Dirtiness also informs how people formulate sexual fantasies, both during partnered sex and during masturbation. Women learn to fantasize about and eroticize their lack of agency and power. Example being done to rather than doing things to others. I think my issue with this is that Women and films can exist on both sides of the spectrum as far as wanting to dominate or be dominated. And that includes hum- humiliation kinks because she also mentions things about that. And it kind of read like, oh, women are basically internalizing this kind of like sexual domination that, we're, that we are socialized to, to think that if you are... ID'd as woman, assigned female at birth or whatever, that a man is supposed to nominate you. And I don't know if it's fair to say that we're eroticizing it, especially because I've listened to interviews and like survivors of sex sexual violence discuss how consensually engaging in certain types of kinks that includes being a submissive, being a sub, has been a source of healing for them being flogged or all this kind of stuff so I, I don't think I don't think it's black and white so I don't know if it, is it a societal thing I don't think that's fair to say there's too many dominate like what do they call dominatrix there's too many female doms for you to be saying that like our sexual fantasies are like if we have a certain fantasy like women can't the desire to be a submissive like women can't like humiliation kinks women can't like being slapped during sex like I just don't think that's fair some people just like that like some some people it's really just a kink and they've had a completely healthy up like nothing bad has happened to them they just fucking like it
1: I can see where the author is coming from but I do agree with you I don't think it's for everybody because I know women that want to peg and that like to peg <laughs> men. So I think it's a generalization. Um and yeah I don't think it's true for everybody.
0: So she also gets into this discussion of dominance and submission dynamics. Um she says capitalism insists that power imbalances must infuse erotic thought and experience which kind of goes into that thing about us eroticizing lack of agency. Another quote says, capitalism normalizes dominance as submission, control of labor and time, and fundamental inequalities among and between people and workers. U.S. capitalism, in particular, requires working co- constantly to the point of exhaustion. This framework goes against mutuality, shared decision making, connectivity, and pleasure between partners. Now, I really loved that paragraph because I immediately thought of like consent consent when it comes to like the power imbalance of sex consent is at the center of it and people want there to be so much gray area and flexibility with consent when men have literally been conditioned to believe that women owe them sex and many of us groom to believe that we have to surrender to their sexual advances And this starts in childhood, you know what I mean? And so this is why so many cis men, cis hat men in particular, think that they're a victim now in this day and age when it comes to like the Me Too movement and conversations about consent and people getting called out on sexual, their inappropriate sexual behavior Because they've been moving through the world, constantly violating people and getting away with it, constantly doing things to make other people uncomfortable, not just women, but mostly women, because men violate each other all the time. There's a direct conflict, I think, between capitalism and consent. It can't exist in a healthy way within capitalism. And that's why we're here. And that's why it seems like there's a witch hunt, because people are becoming more confident in naming the things that have been happening to them, the things that are happening to them. And a bunch of men are freaking out because they feel like, why
1: now? Yeah, I definitely agree with you that we can't have consent under capitalism um, because capitalism has wired us to view um, ourselves as property and to view each other as property. So we just see each other as as things to do things with, but we, we don't view each other as like experiences, you know? Yeah. And it, it, I think it dominates a lot of the way that we see how we react to each other. Um, And I keep going back to relationships. Cause I get so frustrated when people are like, you got to get X, Y, and Z. And if you can't get X, Y, and Z, then that relationship's bad. And I'm like, this is a person living in the same fucked up world that we are living in like give people grace something else that i wanted to say when you're talking about dominating is i see this a lot with men i saw this video i forgot his name but he's a black man and he he like breaks down these um videos about uh power and bigotry and stuff like that but it was about he was stitching this video of this guy who was like their friend went to sleep and they all jerked in his face while he was asleep. Yeah. And so the guy stitched it and he was talking about homoeroticism. And I was like, that is sexual assault. <laughs> that, and he did not bring up sexual assault once. And I, and I think like even for this man who's bringing up like, this is about, you know, power, this is about control. This is about the way that men, are erotic towards each other he was still very hesitant to say this was sexual assault which it was like the guy who was asleep did not consent to having all these men come in his face and they laughed about it like in the original video everyone laughed i'm like ah!
0: <laughs> that's shocking to me like it's shocking to me that anybody could think that that was normal and not fucking creep behavior and predatory were these straight men these
1: were straight men they're also white. I don't know. But
0: <laughs> I just, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot to say about homoeroticism, especially among men, but that's not that. Yeah. That was sexual assault. Yeah. That's creepy and nasty, but yeah, sorry. I was over here. My mouth was open the whole time because I'm like, are you for real right now? They talked about that with a straight face and trying to make it about homoeroticism. This is what we mean about men too not even taking the ways that their consent is taken away from them. Seriously. You know what I mean? Normalizing being assaulted by grown women as children and teenagers. Like, I'm sorry. That's not normal. Miss... Miss Parker needs to be in prison. I know she's fine or whatever. She's a predator. She's a pedophile. And y'all need to stop trying to make it seem like it's different when it's a woman and a and a boy. Because it's not.
1: It's not. And it breaks my heart because like these are like 11, 12, 14, and they're being preyed on by like 30-year-olds. Sometimes like, younger.
0: Sometimes younger.
1: I will never forget...
0: I'm not going to go into too much detail because I'm not trying to put anybody business out there, but a group, it was all women and maybe one or two guys. And one of the guys talked about his first sexual experience, how old he was and how old the woman was. And we, every woman at the table, open mouth gasped, and He said it so casually. And I honestly think we probably embarrassed him by how we reacted. But like, beloved, that is so violent. Like, we were so concerned. Mind you, we, we are out drinking, having a good time. <laughs> and we're talking about sex or whatever. And he said that and we were just like, oh, my gosh. I still think about that because I, I still think about that because it's upsetting and how common it is.
1: No, I remember the first time I learned what sexual assault meant because I thought it was just rape. But literally, if someone has touched you without your consent, that's sexual assault. <laughs> I, I was in therapy. I was actually talking to my therapist about it, and I was like, I remember like all the times I was like 14 years old in high school, freshman, and I would just constantly be groped. And I was telling her, I was like, technically, that is sexual assault. And she was like, Do you want to talk about? It? I'm like, Girl, I have too much going on right now. I can't even add that to do it. <laughs> But but if, if I have to come to terms with the fact that that is sexual assault, then all of, it was boys and girls. Like all of these people who touched me without consent have to come to terms with the fact that they committed assault. Um, And I think it's just a lot for people to try to reckon with.
0: Yeah. My first time where boys started non-consensually groping me was like fourth grade. And sometimes it would be like, walking having to walk you know how the desks are in rows having to walk down the row and they just like one by one and one time anyway I don't have to go into detail but (laughs) see it's shocking but you just get used to it you grow up being used to the fact that boys are gonna like violate you starting at nine years old and I was also more developed than other girls so obviously that didn't help um but yeah this is why I don't be having time to argue with men about women lying. Like, I've been going through this since I was literally a child. I've been going through this shit since before puberty. So I don't want to... I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to block you and also put you on my own special victims unit list. A lot, It's a lot of people on that list. Because as soon as you start trying to act like women lying or playing devil's advocate about children being harmed,
1: oh... Oh, you on my list. One of the most troubling statistics I came across was in The Body Keeps the Score, and it says 60% of all rape victims are girls 15 and under.
0: Remember in the book where he talked about how there were psychiatrists trying to normalize incest and say that it was actually not that bad, that it wasn't doing damage? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, oh oh, the predators are working overtime. Like they were trying to put this on the books to make sure. So yeah, so I was interested in that conversation of like power dynamics within capitalism and how it impacts sex and erotic thought. But I also think we can acknowledge that what people derive pleasure from, specifically in the conversation about women eroticizing their oppression, essentially in their lack of agency. I don't think it's black and white. And I think we can acknowledge that for some women, for some people of all genders, they might be doing that. But for some people, they just like what they like. Okay, they like they they want to turn up. <laughs> Thank y'all for tuning in to our show. If you want to support us, you can rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Plants and Instagram at Mamas. You can always find us on Patreon where we share exclusive monthly mini solds. We now have one $3 all-access Patreon tier, which includes a mini-sode, newsletter, and plant content. We also have two new patrons. Thank you, Tasha and Heather, for joining us. We appreciate the support.
1: Yes, thank you, Tasha and Heather. Um, If you prefer a one-time donation, you can hit us up on Cash App hashtag who do plant mamas or our paypal who plant mamas at gmail.com thank you to Portia for your donation over the summer let's get back to the show
0: um the next section and i may be misinterpreting this but it, I do want to talk about what it reminded me of. So the section where she talks about sex work without sex workers, before we get into it, can, um, how did you interpret that, se- that section? Like, what did you think about when you read that?
1: I don't know. I'm kind of torn. I don't really agree with the, with her assertion that nearly all women that engage in sex, engage in sex work. Cause I think that takes away from the fact that Some women want to have sex. (laughs) Some women want to be there. Some women want, yeah, want to have fun, you know? But I also do agree with, I think a lot of times I hear from women that you just like lay there and take it and get it over with. And I think it's those women that I can see it being sex work without sex workers, because they see like, this is just part of their relationship. I have to do like washing dishes or doing that or doing that and they are not really enjoying themselves and they don't really take pleasure in what they're doing one
0: of the dangerous things that the divine feminine i'ma i'ma be submissive to my man girls talk about is that like you owe your man sexual satisfaction i don't know if you remember that interview that happened that um shan is it Booty? booty sham booty sham booty i think is her name um and she talks a lot about sex and relationships she interviewed this a comedian actually that i used to watch and like not that i dislike her i just don't consume her content as much anymore but she was talking about her relationship and i think on one part she talked about how her partner liked to have anal sex and she don't really like it, but she did it because he liked it. And she was also talking about being submissive and like putting all this work into like, it was, it was weird. It was weird. And I think that kind of goes into this. I'm doing it because he liked it. Like if you are, and also let me say, cause I also think her argument diminishes the work of sex workers in a weird way to say that if you're a sex worker and there's something you don't really like that you do because you're getting paid, that would make more sense than somebody who's not getting paid for it versus I'm doing this because I want my man to be happy is like not healthy at all. Another thing that's reminded me of, even though there's some issues with this argument, it did remind me of the city girl, hot girl discourse. And this is a critique by actual sex workers that I've seen about women trying to approach dating in a way that is like actual sex work and expecting it to go well. Women who actually want a meaningful relationship, who want the picket fence, but you are engaging in like transactional situations in your relationship, as if you are as it, as if it is sex work, and I think it goes back to like this culture of sex and everything being about sex. I'll say that dating cis men is a risk, right? It's a it's a health risk because you have to think about all these different types of violences that they perpetrate disproportionately against women and femmes so I'm not saying that like you requiring that a man have money is wrong but putting so much emphasis on like he gotta buy me a Birkin and he gonna do this and he gonna do that before xyz I just don't think it's sustainable like I just don't think that's enough if, if you are looking for a romance if you are looking for intimacy and safety so, yeah, I hope that made sense. i really be trying to, like, choose my words wisely. And I'm not going to always get it right. But I do think that the whole glamorizing, the whole city girl aesthetic, I think that some people really not about their life and don't have the range. And they're just doing it because, like, the internet said that this is how you do it.
1: I don't know if you've seen um, rap shit, but it's on HBO. There is a storyline with one of the girls who is trying to be a city girl and she ends up in a very harmful situation as a result of it. So I, I definitely do agree with you. I think that it isn't something to be glamorized because there are women who have ended up dead over men. And then there's also the chance of like, men using their money to kind of like, have power over you like there's so many chances to be preyed on so just be careful
0: yeah no I think you have to be a fucking bad bitch and I'm not talking about physical I'm talking about like personality there has to be a level of dominance that you're approaching these situations with and boundaries about what is and isn't gonna happen. Like these are very empowered, independent women. Like I'm thinking about the aesthetic and how I see the idea of a city girl, like Lori Harvey, I think she a city girl, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) And not in a bad way. I think you, I think there's a level of confidence and understanding of yourself and, and what you do and don't want.
1: I also think something that benefits Lori Harvey is that she already has money. exactly. So she's not relying on men for it. I think that's where the danger comes from, relying on men for the money. Mm-hmm. It's so funny because I remember when JT
0: got out and, was t- and she was doing this interview and she was talking about all these nice things she had. And she was like, yeah, I don't really even have to spend a lot of my money. Like I got it. But most of this stuff, somebody else bought for me. The difference between a JT and a me is that the choice, the fact that the that person or these people that are buying all this shit for me, if they were to decide to take it away tomorrow, she going to be all right. That's the difference in like being able to take care of yourself if you have to versus like solely depending on somebody providing that lifestyle for you the final section of this article which i thought was interesting and wanted to discuss were, were these questions that she left us with that i really liked i'm not i didn't do all of them i just pulled the ones that i that i thought were interesting um not that the other ones don't matter but yeah she ends this with could we imagine a sexuality that takes its time loves leisure and fun and play has no product or goal in mind, sees something else possible in partners and ourselves? Is there room for a sexuality that imagines that it is freer than it feels, that continually conjures something different? Can we ask of sex that it transforms the world rather than replicates the worst aspects of it? And my thought to those questions is that decentering the act of sex and putting more emphasis on pleasure what feels good what affirms our body and makes us feel empowered I think that's one way to make sex more liberatory and to like push back against the ways it replicates capitalism and replicates the worst of society um and I don't think it's that simple I just think that's a small way we can do it individually in our lives
1: I saw a tweet a while back, and this is something you said earlier, but it was this girl who was like, sex wasn't as good as we made it out to be in our teens and young adulthood. And I think it depends on who you had sex with, because I I know for me, um, when I was younger, it was much more explorative. Like we got really creative. We had a lot of fun. We were like, ooh, what does this feel like? What does that feel like? You know, what are all of these things? It was like this new and experimental thing. Um, We also didn't have jobs. (laughs) Easy to have fun when you don't have any uh, responsibilities. But, But I do think that like all of these things can be possible again if we approach sex in a way that is playful, in a way that is fun, and not in a way that centers like i'm gonna get mine and and i gotta do this this and this and blah 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 but just be like let's see what we can do today you know so
0: i i agree with you said on one side of the spectrum So I will say Which what I was going to say earlier Was that my queer sexual experiences Were like what you're describing Exploratory Like I can't think of like A bad negative experience As a teenager, preteen It was when I became an older teen And was mostly dealing with boys and men This going to be in the memoir A lot of the shift to like heterosexuality was very compulsory for me when I, and it kind of started at high school because all of my friends were starting to have sex and it was like, what you waiting for? I was like the last one in the group. <laughs> and <laughs> I, and if I were to say the age and I was the last one, people would be like, you was the last one at that age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't as, as a young adult, particularly for cis girls having sex with cis boys, it was not as good as we made it out. As A lot of people made it out to be. I don't think I ever, I don't remember myself ever like lying about it. I would talk about it, but I will mostly listen to my friends and wonder what I was doing wrong. Like I would think that something was wrong with me. Like a lot of us need to talk more about this so younger Women cannot think that some younger girls cannot think that something is wrong with them and also how they can get more agency and demanding that they get the pleasure that they are entitled to and that they deserve.
1: So as we all know, I have written a memoir. It's about purity culture. And in it, I talked about one of my best friends from when I was like 13, 14 um, and she got pregnant. And I remembered that we had such a physically affectionate um, relationship. And it was something I enjoyed a lot. Like we held hands and we would cuddle. Um, and it made me realize that I haven't really had friendships like that since. Um, and I've been trying to figure out why. And so I saw this TikTok from Isma too. I know I've referenced her before on the podcast. She's one of my favorite TikTokers. Um, But she broke down how she felt about her best friend. And in it, she said that whenever she meets a new person, she breaks them down to three different categories, Um, people she has romantic feelings for, people she has platonic feelings for, and people she has sexual feelings for and she said for her bestie she has romantic and platonic feelings for her and as a result she shows like romantic and platonic affection for her friend for her best friend um and so basically it's my two set that our friends can be our lovers i'm glad we're talking
0: about this because as you were talking I realized, and I think this actually happens a lot, but I know it's happened for me several times and it's actually ended up ruining the friendship is that I conflated romantic feelings that I had for a friend with like something more, like with me wanting to be in a relationship with them. And it was just that like, I just romantically enjoyed this person and that kind of thing. And it ended up manifesting in ways like, I can't even describe it but it has ruined not not many but I could say at least a couple. And I think kind of normalizing romantic relationships between friends I think that could help in talking about romance differently. I think conflating romance with sexual is the problem. You might navigate a a relationship that is not just a friendship romantically and sexually with a friendship some people might argue some people have sexual relations with their friends and it's not I don't know what to say but (laughs) but yeah I do think our friends are our lovers and I think that's something I've been working through with like navigating the romantic aspect without thinking that it's some weird thing that I have a crush on my friend and really it's just like This is a romantic friendship and I, and that's just what it is. You know what I mean? So, um, and then there are platonic. Yeah. That I don't feel like this is my friend, but I don't really feel any romantic feelings for them. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that this person makes. I'm not on TikTok, just to preface. I get all my TikToks from like Twitter and Instagram, like, or people sending them to me. And that's how I found out what y'all be talking about on there.
1: (laughs) Something that you said, Isma too, actually did bring, bring up. She said in the sexual category, she has like a threshold. And she's like, for her best friend, There's a little bit on the sexual because she's like, my friend's hot, but she's like, it wouldn't, it has never reached the threshold, which is where she would actually want to date somebody. So I think it is important to kind of distinguish the romantic from the sexual. And so something I noticed is that like writing about purity culture, it helped me to see that like around the same times that I was friends with this person, I was learning that being physically affectionate with someone equated to sex and so for me it made me feel like I couldn't be physically affectionate with my friends because people would like think I was a lesbian and then they were going to bully me for that because homophobia um and then it also made me feel like I could only be romantic with men so when men stopped being romantic something was wrong with them and I had to go find a new man and so it kind of made me view men as like only good for this one thing like in the same ways that they were viewing me as only good for something I was viewing them as only being good for something and so it wasn't helpful for me because I think what Ismatu is saying is like romance can be fulfilled through community through a lot of different people it's not just this one person that you're supposed to get your romantic needs fulfilled by yes
0: yes The intimacy thing is one that I have struggled with so much and I still have my struggles with, although I've gotten better. I, end of high school and coming into college, I had particularly a a really close friend who we're not friends anymore. (laughs) People grow apart. She was so affectionate. And sometimes it made me uncomfortable because, I don't know, like, I think that I always associated with something more. I also had a thing with touch. Like, I struggle with touch a lot um, because my own shit and trauma and that kind of thing. Like, on every time I take the love languages test, physical touch is my last one. And, not, and by a landslide to the point where it's like, when people see it, they're like, hmm. Maybe we need to unpack that like 2%, like 2% versus everything else kind of balanced out. And I think it's because what I've found is that touch, someone can touch you and still not mean you well, can touch you and still not really love you, can touch you and also hurt you. Um, and so even with sex, intimacy, whatever, any kind of touch, that is not enough. Me to feel safe, and it's not enough for me to think that you care about me. And so, because of that conflict, friends that for them their love language is touch and hugging and cuddling for me, it just felt weird because why are you doing this? Like, do you was there some underlying thing that you want from me? It really was like, No, I just love you and <laughs> being around you, and you're my friend. And you're soft and cuddly, apparently. That's what the girls say. <laughs> uh, and it took me a while. I had to really get used to that. Um, And so I've definitely grown, but I still have my moments, you know? And I also still have my moments where I struggle with the romantic thing and having to say, like, you do not want to have sex with this person, girl. It's not that... Let's let's talk. Let's unpack because I start feeling those romantic feelings and immediately think like, hmm, and, and and sometimes maybe it is that maybe you're sexually attracted to a friend, but you don't really want to have sex with them. You know what I mean? I just I think it I think it can blur. I think friendships can blur. I think friendships can be queer. Um, And that's just what it is. And I think those are the best friendships tbh as long as you're not getting messy and taking shit too far which
1: can happen so <laughs> i do want to say like when i was getting into college i did have friends who had like you they had some hang-ups around physical touch so it made me like super aware of it because i was a huge hugger i always wanted to hug people always wanted to lay under them i'm still like that physical touch is my top love language <laughs> but i've gotten um i've gotten super insecure around physical touch uh, partially because people equate it to sex and then also because like I have friends who don't like to be touched and so I'm like trying to respect their boundaries but then I'm also like what do I do to tell them that I like them and they're my friend like and I've really struggled with that so now I'm not comfortable being physically affectionate with my friends anymore and it's it is a lot of stuff that I'm still having to work through but I was glad that she she brought this down because it was like I do have romantic feelings for my friends one of the best dates I ever been on was with my friends actually (laughs) we one of our friends was like there's going to be a like shooting stars in the sky and so we all got our like pillows and blankets and we went up to the observatory at like midnight and we slept under the stars and we all cuddled in the blankets together and it was like the best thing in the world and I was like I can't do that with anyone else
0: (laughs) I fucking love friend dates like they're so sweet and sometimes really romantic and then you're thinking like why can't someone I have a crush on do this for me (laughs) Not that I don't appreciate my friends. I love it. It makes me feel so special. Um, Can we talk about that PWI that we went to? And I don't know if you noticed this, but most of the black people were really affectionate. Like, I still think about how, why don't we go into the cafeteria I see y'all every day. Like, why I gotta go down the whole table and hug everybody, especially the men? Like, are y'all okay? And then they get offended. I've we talked about this about how a lot of men used to get offended about my church pat, and it wasn't even on purpose. I struggle with this, okay? Like, <laughs> and I would some of them would like, would would do the full body bear hug because of that, and it's like. It didn't make me upset. Sometimes I really needed it. I love the full body bear hug. That's my favorite. <laughs> I think we were all just traumatized and touch deprived. And that's why black people felt like every time we saw each other at the party, in the cafeteria, on the way to class, we had to hug every fucking day. <laughs> like, I just seen you. Um, This is what I was going to say. Because I don't want to... Um. When I was talking about the physical touch thing, when you said that you have friends that don't like to be touched, I wanna to be clear that it's perfectly okay that I want to be touched. Speaking for myself, I don't think my I don't think it came from a good place. And I think I did need it to be touched. And I think my me finally slowly opening up to hugs and casual, mundane touch when hanging out with friends, like I think that helped me. And it and it brought out something good in me, and now I'm super touched deprived, like I need to be touched so bad, like every time a friend hugs me, I feel like my brain starts fireworks start going off like I needed this, we needed that girl um so yeah i I think that it helped me learn that it's okay, and that some people touch you not to harm you or to try to trick you or that kind of thing some people touch you because they love you and touch can be love touch can be special and touch doesn't always have to be sexual so but I want to say for the girlies it's just like don't don't want to be touched like it's okay I'm not saying something is wrong with you but something was wrong with me
1: (laughs) I do want to add my husband actually has um sensory processing issues so He is touch avoidant. He doesn't like to be touched. He said it's like his skin is crawling when people touch him. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with not wanting to be touched. I, on the other hand, also have sensory processing issues and I am a touch seeker and I love being touched. And this has been very hard for me to be in the pandemic, to not hold people, to not rub on people. I used to get massages. It does help a lot with me, but now with monkey pox, I'm like, girl, I don't want nobody touching. it. <laughs> but I need to be touched. And it's like the struggle I have all the time. I need to be touched, but I, I also don't want to get sick. No, nah, I feel that. Well, yeah,
0: I love this conversation. Did you have any final thoughts before we wrap up about anything we talked about today? I
1: have nothing else.
0: <laughs> we talked a lot, but I did. I just want to say that I'm so happy to be back. I've said this plenty of times before, but I really have enjoyed and grown so much through this podcast. And it's been just such a fun thing. And we've built so much community around it. Like we've met so many different people through the podcast and, and also just finding out our reach. Like so many people in so many random places outside of Mississippi, being like they found the podcast and they and it feels like home because maybe they have family from Mississippi or from the south and so I'm happy to be back chat chitting chatting and I look forward (laughs) to this I look forward to this season progressing and all that we have to come so thanks for coming back and hanging out with us we love y'all I'm gonna speak for myself I know Leah does I'm gonna speak for myself I I love (laughs) (laughs) We love y'all And appreciate y'all And we thank y'all For For rocking with us So Yeah If you like this episode You can like Rate And review "Hoodoo Plant Mamas On Spotify And Apple Podcasts If anything From the show Resonated with you Make sure to share With us on social media Again You can find us On Twitter At Hoodoo Plants And
1: Instagram At Hoodoo Plant Mamas So I wanted to share this message, um, that we got from DJ who said, hello, I'm 26 and recently started listening to your podcast. And even though I'm from Detroit, not Mississippi, which is perfectly fine. (laughs) I felt home. Thank you for opening up a platform for people like me who don't have access to education about ancestral culture, religion, practices, I've always felt disconnected and finally feel like I'm headed somewhere, and I've constantly been told about my energy and intuition, as well as joke about being psychic and all types of stuff from seeing silhouette-like spirits as a child. Anyway, y'all, universal blessings. Thank you so much. First of all, DJ, it's giving medium. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw that,
0: I was like, it's giving medium, but yes. Yes. <laughs> thank you this is such a, I love messages like this every time I think like start thinking negative stuff about things I'm just like nah we are making a difference so thank you so much for that sweet message and I hope you continue to grow in your spiritual
1: journey and thank y'all so much for listening we're so excited to be back and please stay tuned for our next episode bye y'all bye